For the help of the Lord, I direct your careful attention to Acts chapter 7, the portion that we read, reading for our text, uh, verse 38. Verse 38, and it is specifically the first three words, but we will preach from the whole verse. This is He that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in the Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us. Acts chapter 7 and verse 38. This is he. We have read the dying, we may say, testimony of Stephen before the Jewish council. From the very beginning of time in the Garden of Eden, when the first promise of the Saviour was given, there have been a succession of the Lord's dear people who have seen by faith the coming Messiah, the Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord has been pleased to reveal himself to them right through time. And we find here with Stephen able to rehearse right back to Abraham and to give a history over those who have seen and known and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's able to come to a testimony as he views this himself. This is he. This whom I've described to you. This who has been revealed through time. This who Moses has spoken of. That a prophet shall the Lord thy God raise up unto you. Like unto me him shall you hear. This is he. This is the promise. Jesus of Nazareth. This is he. And how sacred when we come to the end of this portion. As Stephen is dying, he looks up into heaven and he sees the Lord Jesus. He sees him. And he's able to testify of what he has seen. What a blessed sight. You know, when our Lord ascended, he sat on the right hand of the throne of God on high. But Stephen sees him standing. Standing to receive his dear child. The Lord says, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there ye may be also. And here in this account, we have a beautiful account of the Lord doing just what he said. Standing to receive one of his dear people, and what is more, he was able to see it and testify it this side of the grave in the midst of the hail of stones, in the midst of affliction. And we believe we have known this. We've known this with our own mother, those who have been able to testify before they passed away of what they saw and what they had trusted in and were expecting as they could see as they crossed that Jordan. May we never forget the ark of God, as typical of the Lord Jesus Christ, it stood in the midst of Jordan until all of the children of Israel went over. 
In the midst of death they would have seen that ark close at hand, dying grace in a dying hour, seeing the Lord as never before one has seen him in the hour of great need. Well, Stephen here, he makes this testimony, and you know, dear friends, each one of us, we need to desire and long and pray for this, not just to know about the Lord Jesus Christ. You can study about him and know about him and study books, but that is very different than having Christ formed in the heart, the hope of glory. You know, not stones, not Jewish, no, none could wrench this from his heart. And that's where you and I need it, in the heart. And the Lord to put it there. And then no man can take it out. And so to be able to say, be able to view and to testify, this is he. This is who my soul desireth. This is he in whom I have believed. This is he. So I want to look this afternoon at three main headings. Firstly, I want to look at the contrast between Stephen and the multitude here. There's many contrasts in the Word of God and there certainly is in this account. I want to just look at that firstly. And then secondly, the words, this is he. What this means to a sinner when he sees the Lord Jesus Christ and it says, this is he. What is that meaning? What is that meaning to that poor sinner that can say that? And what is he seeing in heaven? And then thirdly, how Stephen saw and testified of him in the text. And there is three things that he sees and testifies of him in our text. This is he that was in the church, in the wilderness. And with the angel which spake to him, that is to Moses in Mount Sinai, and with our fathers, who received the lively oracles to give unto us. And we have him, him in the church, him speaking to his people, and him giving us his holy word. And that is what Stephen saw, and that is what he testifies here. I want to look then firstly at this contrast. And it couldn't be a real more stark contrast. Here are the elders of the Jews. Here are the religious people of the day. Those that uh, were held in esteem by men. And that supposedly knew the scriptures. And they stood for Moses. This was what they thought that Stephen was bringing forth Jesus as a challenge against Moses. He was destroying their uh, form of religion and destroying their hope as they thought. Uh, they were, as their Lord said while he was on earth, the blind leaders of the blind. But what I want to really highlight here is the, the need of saving faith given by God to be able to see the Lord Jesus Christ as the true Messiah, the Christ, to be able to say this is He. And this is, it is so stark here. Remember when our Lord spoke of the rich man and Lazarus. And 
the rich man in this life he lived uh, with all his wealth and riches the beggar Lazarus was laid at his uh, door uh, full of sores when they both died and it's not because of their station here but because of the Lazarus's faith in Christ he was brought to be Abraham's bosom in the covenant whereas the rich man died and opened his eyes in hell and he asked that there might be that Lazarus could come and give him water to quench his tongue in that flame and God said no there's a gulf between you cannot come between so then he had another request you send Lazarus to my brethren that they don't come into this place you know what the Lord said the Lord said to him they have Moses and they have the prophets let them hear them if they hear not them neither will they believe though one rose from the dead and of course one did rise from the dead the Lord Jesus Christ did and they put it down to just a scheming amongst the disciples but you think what otherwise the Lord raised from the dead Lazarus and the widow of Nain's son Jairus' daughter he raised those from the dead they even had sought to put Lazarus to death because many, because of him, many went and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is his same council and these same rulers. And the Lord had worked so many miracles. He worked the miracles of the loaves and the fishes, and they went the other side of the sea to get to him. And you know what the Lord said to him? He followed me not because he saw the miracles, but because he did eat of the loaves and were filled. Well, no doubt many were hungry, many were poor, and they were pleased with those loaves. But the miracles testified of who he was, that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God, is what he said, I and my Father are one. And they completely bypassed that, didn't see that. All they saw is what they were getting, following for loaves and fishes. How many do that in religion today? There were the Christians. And we'll follow the Lord only in that way. But what I'm coming to is this. They were seeing these miracles. They were seeing these things that the Lord was doing. And they were not believing on him. They were not seeing who he was. And yet the Lord says, The works that I do, I do in my Father's name. They are they which testify of me. And I have witnessed not of men, but of my Father which is in heaven. And yet with all of these things that were done, there were countless numbers like this assembly here that could hear all of Stephen's testimony and still not believe and still cast him stones at him, still destroy him. And remember one of them was called Saul. Paul the Apostle, one of them that was to show, be shown mercy, one that would later believe, but now couldn't and wouldn't. But yet he did later on. Now, dear friends, there may be those of you here that pass by the blessing of being brought to believe in and see the Lord Jesus Christ is for who he is. 
and to rejoice in that belief. And you pass it by as something that is not a unique blessing. It is. You look at the contrast here. It is. And while we're thinking of contrast, the Lord always used it. We mentioned this about Lazarus and the rich man. That's not the only one. What about in prayer? The publican and the Pharisee. Why did the Lord use two parables? Why not just one in that parable? No. So that there be a, a contrast. You can compare the two. Right the way through life we have it. Right from the beginning. Cain and Abel. Why two brothers? Why the difference? Joseph, Jacob and Esau. Why two? All the time there's these comparisons. And the Lord's dear people will have those times, yes, they may think, I can't see myself amongst the people of God. Well, can you see amongst the ungodly and those that hate the Lord and those that go away from Him? Maybe if you can't see your image there, you can see there. And the Lord uses these two, and He's not there two places, heaven and hell. Are there not the Lord's people and those that are not? All the time there are the, 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 the contrasts and it is for the good of the church, for the help of the people of God, so that they see, they see who are the Lords. They see them, and do they see a perfect people? Do they see Jacob as one of God's people and he's perfect? No, the supplanter, Jacob in all his ways, naturally no better than Esau, only by grace. And so we have this contrast that is here. One man, amidst all of this religious multitude, standing and testifying what he knows and believes and trusts in and sees in the Lord Jesus Christ. Dear friends, what an encouragement today. Those of you young people at school or university, how many times you might be like this? One man. One young man perhaps. And you've got your professors and you've got all of those around you all deriding, all speaking against what you believe. Think of Stephen. Think of those who have gone before. And think what a precious thing it is. Why do I see what I see? Why do I believe what I do believe? Who maketh thee to differ? Who has made that difference? May it be a precious thing to us. You know, we shall have to give an account, a reason of the hope that is within us, with meekness and with fear, to all that asketh us. The same as what Stephen did later on, Paul had to do, and he did do the same, how the Lord met with him, and how he saw him on that Damascus road. So may we be in Stephen's place, and not in the multitude round about him, be in the place of those who have seen in the Lord Jesus Christ their God, their Redeemer, their Saviour, be able to describe him and set him forth and say, This is he. This is he upon whom my hopes of heaven depend. And may it be that it continues from this pulpit that off this precious Jesus is lifted up. This is he, and many that hear, they echo it, and they say with thee, two of the way to Emmaus, did not our heart burn within us, while he talked with us by the way, 
while He opened to us the Scriptures. So we have in this, this distinction, this difference. And may we bless God if the Lord has made that difference in our lives. And if He has not yet done so, may you think of this young man Saul, who the Lord yet did. And He did stop him. And He did work in his heart. And made him such a blessing. But on to look then secondly, uh, this is he. What this means to a sinner. When sin entered into the world and death by sin, I believe this is a really a root cause you might say of, of every error that may come into the church of God is to minimise what happened at the fall. In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. The thought that there is still some life, something good, something responsive, something appealing to God, something that can, uh, of its own free will, save itself or see in the things of God, anything, is the root of so much error in the church of God. Man is fallen, he is dead, he is lost. In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. In dying thou shalt die. We must go to the grave. And after the grave there is the judgment and eternal death. But spiritually we die. We are still in a, in a sense the image of God in that we are over the creation. We have a, a reasonable mind, a reasonable soul. We, we are able to do Many, many things. The difference between man and the animal kingdom is immense. And men minimise it, but it is astounding. And what the Lord has done, and Paul opens this out to the Corinthians, he says that in the wisdom of God, God by wisdom, that he uh, hid these things from man. He hid spiritual things from them. It pleased God not to, by the wisdom of man, know the things of God, but through the foolishness of t preaching. And we spoke of the contrast in the first part here. But what contrast we have, that man can send people to the moon, he can do medical marvels, he can do electronics, he can do mechanical marvels, he can do so much, he has so much wisdom. But when it comes to spiritual things, when it comes to the things of God, when it even comes to the things of our own bodies, male and female, maybe them, man is utterly ignorant and he fails miserably. And we see how he has fallen from God. We have in Romans 1 that even those that have not the scriptures, they shall be without excuse, because we are God's creation, his own creation, testifies that God has made us, and he's made us in his image, he's put us over the works of his hands, and we ourselves are that wonder, that men cannot see it. We've sat in front of scans with medical professionals, and they have marvelled and they have said that we do these things because we marvel at the brain and we marvel at how we're made and we say to them, yes, and the Creator made us like we are. And a blank goes over their face and they don't want to speak any more about it. And yet they've chosen that career because of the marvel that they've seen. 
and yet they cannot see. That is a judgmental hardness. That is the sentence of death in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. The very fact that these things are hidden, hidden from the wise and prudent, revealed unto babes, and that makes it a true token when the Lord does bless a soul that they are blessed. Manoah and his wife, and his wife said, if the Lord were pleased to kill us, why would he have told us such things as these? Why would he have shown us such things as these? And I say to that to every poor sinner who has seen in the Lord Jesus Christ just what a sinner who is dead in trespasses and sins needs. He needs a living Saviour. He needs one who can come and who has come and fulfilled the law in his place, who has suffered the wrath of God in his place, a propitiation offering, a wrath ending sacrifice as John in his epistles sets it forth. He hath endured uh, that which we uh, should have endured. Let thy hand be upon the man at thy right hand, the son of man, whom thou madest strong for thyself. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. This is he that the dear saints say, look for him that should come, that should be that sacrifice, the one that Abraham saw as he took uh, Isaac off the altar and put the ram in his stead, a substitutionary offering. Abraham saw my day and rejoiced at it. It is the same one that was expected that should be bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh, the seed of the woman, not made like unto the angels, which are just spirit, or just like the beasts, which are just flesh, but the seed of Abraham, which are body and soul. You know, the saints down through the ages, they struggle with how the Lord would bring this about. Job, he says, Though he is able to testify, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. He said, but how can a clean thing come out of an unclean? How can it be the seed of the woman, the natural generation from Adam? How will this happen? We know how it happens with the virgin birth. And then Solomon, he said, will God in very deed dwell on earth? He had the right view of what was going to happen, hadn't he? The heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. How much less is house that I built it? But we know again how that happened. How God contracted to a stand incomprehensibly made man. And so what is bound up in him is our surety, our substitute, our redeemer, our saviour, our near kinsman, our only hope, God's provision. Abraham says, my son, God will provide himself, himself, a lamb for a burnt offering. He shall be the lamb. He shall offer himself by one offering forever. And this is he. When it is set forth here, this is He. This is the Redeemer, the Saviour, that doesn't do part salvation. He doesn't 
fulfill the law and pay the debt his people owed and then leave them without any righteousness to stand before the throne. His whole life is a perfect righteousness to give to his people. He that hath two coats, let him give to him that hath none. That provision the Lord provides. And does the Lord then leave it there and say, well, now I send forth my servants and, and they shall preach and now it's up to you. The Spirit went forth everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. And what do we read happened? When they preached, some believed the word spoken and some believed not. Well, what made the difference? As many as were ordained unto eternal life believed. That's what made the difference. Him right or rightly puts it, tis Christ makes a believer and gives him his crown. It is the Lord's work to do this. And we must be persuaded of this. If it were only a half salvation, it would be no salvation. If there was any part required of fallen man in his dead state, there would be no salvation. So many of them make the mistake of applying exhortations or, or warnings or words that are written to very clearly awakened believers, those who have eternal life, those who are already saved, those who are already believers, and they use those expressions to unbelievers, to those that are dead in trespasses and sins, as if they could respond to it. And they can't. The dead, they know not anything. Mine ear hast thou opened. He which hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. That is the difference. My sheep, I am known of mine, and I know my sheep. They hear my voice, and they follow me. When he putteth forth his sheep, not his sheep put themselves forth, when he puts forth his sheep, he goeth before them. That is the order of it. And we see in every step the Lord is magnified. The crown is on his head alone. And when we use the language of dear Stephen here and say this is he, you may say, this is he who is all my salvation and all my desire. Coming with dear David, although my house be not so with God, yet hath he made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things in sure. This is all my salvation and all my desire, though he make it not to grow. There is our hope, is in Christ and Christ alone. This is He. Now we may ask ourselves here, especially those here who made profession in the name of the Lord, what is Christ to you? Can we say this is He? This is He upon whom my hopes depend, my hopes of heaven. This is He that hath begun a good work in me. And I believe he shall perform it 
unto the day of Jesus Christ. This is he of whom shall receive my soul at last. This is he who went through death for me. This is he who fulfilled the law in every jot and tittle for me. This is he in whom my soul delighteth. Peter says, unto you which believe, he is precious. He is precious. Now I know there will be those of you here who say, there have been some times in my life he's been exceeding precious. But there will be times you've been in the dark valleys, times you wonder really where the scene will end. You say, if I was asked then, I would say, I hope he's precious. He has been precious to me. But this is the precious thing. Our hope is not based upon our strength, our mind. Hear the Lord with Peter. Satan hath desired to have you, all of the church of God, but I pray for thee, Peter, now at this specific time, because Satan hath desired to have you, to sift you as wheat. I pray for thee that thy faith fail not. The faith that Christ gave him. In Galatians we read that it is the faith of Jesus Christ by which we are saved. Yes, in one sense it is the faith in Christ that those like with the ESV who quote that verse and change it to make in, they make it so that it leaves room for some supposed faith of our own making to be saving, but no, it must be he that is the author and finisher of our faith. This is he, this is he who begins and who gives faith. And so though our frames change, and though sometimes our love seems cold and dark and far off, and maybe even left by dear Peter to deny the Lord, the Lord will never forsake the work of his own hands. This is he that changeth not. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. I want to look then thirdly at how Stephen saw and testified of him in the text. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in the Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us. I want to suggest here there are three real headings that are in this text. Three things that Stephen saw. He said, this is he that was in the church that was in the wilderness. Some will translate it and say congregation. Yes, it was a congregation. But it was the church. The Lord has only one church. Has only ever had one church. And right down through the ages, and we have part of the church on earth, part in heaven, part of yet to be born. Uh, but it is one church. And right through the world there has been that church. 
in one sense you might say the church is a gathering of people like we have in the Revelation, the letters to the churches. Another sense, of course, the church is not bricks and mortar. It is individuals that make up that church. And it is then when it is spoken of here that this is he not that was with the church and yes we know Moses said except thy presence go not with me carry us not up hence yet he was in the church in it and what, what a difference that makes you know you go back to Noah and when the ark was made and when the flood was to come what did God say? did he say go into the ark? he said come he was in the ark. He was with his people. Come unto me, all ye that are labour and heavenly laden. Father, I will that they who thou hast given me be with me where I am. All the time is the, the idea of that he is in the church, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Unto him shall the gathering of the people be. And there is always that idea wherever his church is, there is his people. When he speaks about the end of the world, you might say, well, how, how will we know with Christ coming? We, we are warned if, if people say he's in the wilderness or in the desert, go not out. But what is it said? He uses a simple illustration. He said, wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. And really what it means is, wherever God's people are, there will the Lord be. And wherever the Lord will be, there will his people be. You cannot separate them. You cannot. They must be together. That is the will of the Lord, that his people be with him, that they see his glory. And that is the will of the Lord performed here below. And in the church in the wilderness, the Jews... The Lord was with them. He was in that church. I trust he is with each local church represented here. He comes and dwells in that church and the individual members of that church. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Formed in you, the hope of glory. And Stephen, he sees this. And when we think of the church in the wilderness, we think of the tabernacle, the tribes all the way around it. Wasn't that tabernacle representative of Christ? Wasn't it in the midst of that congregation, in the midst of that church? And then in the midst of that church, the types and shadows, the sacrifices instituted, the, the ark, the brazen altar, later on the, uh, the raised up brazen serpent, Paul, he says, they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. They had the fiery, cloudy pillar to go before them, and that was in the midst of their assemblies all the time. Here is the church, and here is he. This is he. This should be the desire of each church, each member of it, and each gathering. Where is Christ? May his presence be with us. May he be known in our midst. And dear Stephen, he sees this. He says, it was so in the past. 
Ye, you are holding me to account. Ye, you think I'm destroying Moses. I'll take you back to Moses. I'll take you back to him that spoke of him. He that was in the wilderness, in that church, he was in the midst. Christ was in the midst. Jesus of Nazareth, whom you despise, who cannot see that is the Christ, he is the one that was in the midst. The church of God. You know, it should make the church of God to be very precious to us. Don't ever despise the assembling together of ourselves with the Lord, with His people. Needs to be reminded, doesn't it, after COVID and lockdown and everything like that, I hope it's made it even more precious to me what it is to gather together. And to Him shall the gathering of the people be. Yes, it's a beautiful provision for those that cannot come, remain at home, or haven't got those to, to meet with in the local area. But to actually gather and see the people of God. Barnabas, when he came to Antioch, he saw the grace of God and was glad. Hard to see that over electronic means, isn't it? But when you see a change in people, you see their lives, you hear them, you see their expressions, you see how they, 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 they walk, they worship. And then in the church of God, there's the ordinances. You think of that in the church. In the reading of the word, in the preaching, the lifting up of the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ. You think of baptism, buried with him by baptism into death and risen again in newness of life. In the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, you do show forth the Lord's death till he come. Do this in remembrance of me, in the church of God. And Stephen saw this, may we have, especially as we come on, on an anniversary occasion like this, the fresh views of what it is to gather with the Lord and with his dear people and with the ordinances that he has instituted and with the means of grace that he has appointed. Stephen, he was able to say, this is he. That was in the church in the wilderness, and you might say, is in the church now, will ever be in the church. You might say as well, well, isn't the church in the wilderness now? Oftentimes we feel it like, don't we, in hostile ground, barren, and like in that wilderness journey. But what an encouragement. If the Lord is with us as much as he was them in the wilderness. Well, the, third, the second thing that he saw and he says, that he spake. He spake to Moses, he spake to our fathers. We spake to him in the Mount Sinai and with our fathers. You know, Moses, he never forgot that time where the Lord appeared to him in the burning bush. And we no doubt, we are told very clearly, uh, who, who, who it was in, in this very uh, account. We read in verse 30, when 40 years were expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in the flame, uh, flame of fire in a bush. And then we have in verse 32 what was said 
I am the God. This wasn't just a created angel. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. The I am that I am. The one who speaks in John 10. Right through that chapter. I am the good shepherd. This is he. I am the God of thy fathers. The God of Abraham. The God of Isaac. And the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and durst not behold. God spake. And he spake to Moses and the fathers, and he speaks to us. You know, we think of dear Jacob, there wrestled a man with him to the breaking of the day. Let me go, for the day breaketh. I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he blessed him there. Thou hast wrestled with God and with man, and hast prevailed. His name was changed from Jacob, and changed unto Israel. And again, a beautiful pre-incarnation appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. He did so with Abraham. Those two angels, they went on towards Sodom. And here is Abraham with the Lord and he's pleading for uh, Lot and for Sodom, if there be ten. Well, he was destroyed, but then we read that when the Lord destroyed Sodom, he remembered Abraham and brought Lot out of the overflow. In a way, Abraham, a beautiful type in himself of Christ, in making intercession before God for him, effectual intercession. But he saw Christ there, he saw Christ, they spake with him. And this is a blessed thing. The Lord is not silent to his people. Be not silent to me. Lest if thou be silent unto me, I become like them that go down in the pit. You know, when it comes to Deuteronomy, when Moses and Nehemiah's journey's end, he remembers back to that time. When he gives the blessing on Joseph to him that was separate from his brethren, the goodwill of him that dwelt in the bush. And he goes back to that time. And of course this was Stephen. He's at the end of his life. He's just about to depart his life. And to get then a fresh view of the Lord. And to really remember all that the Lord has spoken. And all that the Lord has done. It's a blessed thing that we might hear the voice of the Lord. My sheep, they hear my voice. And they hear it through the word of God. They hear it through the preaching of the word. Those two on the way to Emmaus, they heard that voice through all the scriptures, the things concerning himself, before they ever knew who it was that was walking by them, and their heart burned within them. What tokens there are of receiving. And you know, I mentioned about that, there wrestled a man with him. Those are precious times, and that was made a real blessing to me. In the early times when the Lord first was blessing my soul, to read across that portion, and to be stopped short, that is Christ. And ever since that time, and you think, well, surely, preacher, you know, I've read through the Bible so many times, you must know all the Bible. But there's still those times, I read through a passage, there is Christ, I didn't see him there before. Oh, how precious, how lovely that is. I've never seen it opened up like that before. And those are, there are times of meat and joy for soul. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Was that only applying to those in the upper room? 
when the Lord first arose from the dead? Or will it not be many times in the assemblies of the saints when they see the Lord? Are they glad? They rejoice. They see him whom their soul loves. They hear of him. They embrace him. He touches their hearts. They hear his voice. Well, Stephen, he saw this. Moses knew it. The fathers knew it. And he'd known it. And then there's the third point. He says he gave them who received the lively oracles to give unto us. Both Paul in his epistles in Romans and Hebrews and Peter in his general epistle, he refers to the oracles of God. He's the word of the scripture, not just of the moral law, but of the whole word of God. The oracles of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. The written and the incarnate word and all things the same. And may we always hold that word to a very high, very high, because in it is the Lord Jesus Christ revealed. You can look at all creation, but we need the word of God to reveal to us the Lord Jesus Christ, his beloved Son, and to be able to say, this is he. You know, we mentioned that the two that went to, on the way to Emmaus. But when we think of the eunuch, and we think of the portion that he was reading, that begins with, there is no form nor comeliness that we should desire him. We have like the picture of this multitude here, no desire for the Lord Jesus at all. And we have the unit reading through that portion. That could be any one of you, couldn't it? Reading through Isaiah 53. And a preacher is sent, Philip is sent, understandest thou what thou readest? How would you answer? Do you understand all you read? And especially that chapter, do you understand it in your heart when it speaks of all the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? An experience? You might be told about someone having an operation in hospital. So I understand that. Then you might have that same operation. You say, now I understand it very differently. Now I understand the pain they went through and what they went through. How do we understand the scriptures? Is it by experience? Do we have some fellowship with the Lord in his sufferings? And in his death, do we know something of that? Well, Philip comes and the eunuch says, Whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or some other man? And Philip, he begins at the same scripture, that where he was led as a sheep uh, before her shearers is dumb. And so he opened not his mouth, the led as a lamb to the slaughter. And he began the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. That dear man's testimony at the end, see here is water, what doth hinder me to be baptised? If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. In effect, you say with there, Stephen here, this is he. 
This is he whom you have set forth before me for the preaching of Isaiah 53. This is he. This is the Son of God. Now this is the... With John in his... In the Gospel right the way through. You will find some 85 times testimony of Jesus as the Son of God. More than any other Gospels. I think the nearest that comes to it is Luke. About 15... Uh, times that John he says that there are many other things that Jesus did that are not written in this book but these are written that he might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that in believing he might have life through his name and this is a vital then testimony this is a testimony that by God's grace may each one of us be brought to make. And those of us who have, may we prize it and bless God that ever he has brought us to speak this language and to point to him and say, Behold, the way to God. May the Lord have his blessing. Amen.